Do you... That feeling in the room is redemption. That feeling in the room, that, that, um, that scent that comes off of a story like that is salvation and transformation. These kinds of stories are astonishing to us. And so we are going to thank Gordy and Molly. Molly is right there. Molly, would you mind standing so we can just, uh, just embrace that story together? I am so grateful to both of you. I remember baptisms. I remember just the sopping wet. I'm standing up here and I am undignified, but I will declare what Jesus has done in my life. And the, the, just the way that God has worked in your lives, cuts, Marie, just the, the, the story is so beautiful. And we're grateful as a church for you guys sharing that story and being willing to have the boldness and the courage to take us closer to the throne of God because you were willing to be vulnerable and share like that. It's these stories, friends. It's these stories that I am excited to again experience as we come into Lion in the Streets. We've been months and months and months, almost a year, without being able to experience just the way that God moves to change and transform your lives, my life. And it, it's, so, it's so refreshing to my soul to be able to see that. And I'm excited just to share that over the course of the next few weeks and, and months, we're gonna be doing more stories. But I want you to hear me say this. It doesn't just happen on the big screen. It doesn't just matter on the big screen. It is really, really important. You might be here just this summer. It might be your first experience with us as a church. And you might therefore not understand how deeply rooted in the very DNA, in, in the marrow of our bones, storytelling is for our culture. Because we believe it is the power of God that gets transmission through our stories. As we share with one another at this level of vulnerability, it's catalytic. It's what God uses to transform everything around us into pieces of heaven on earth. It is a huge deal. And if you are new to our church, get ready. That locomotive's coming, baby. This stuff is critical to us as a body because it's inside of these stories that we see chances and changes. We, we see the effect of God's mercy on our life, of him over and over and over again, saying, no, no, try again. I'm here. I'll lift you up. Those voices that you hear, they're the lie of the enemy. Listen for the whisper of my voice, and it will take you places that are scary, really scary, and oh, so good. So I, I want you as a church, almost like... You guys know the tomato meter? Who's familiar with the tomato meter in here? Rotten tomatoes? Come on. Come on. Rotten tomatoes for, for the film, right? So, so to, you know what it is to be like 95% fresh? Okay. 
We're gonna get 95% fresh coming into Lion in the Streets. I am stoked as in like the coal has been shoved in my soul and it's hot and the ember is burning. I cannot wait for these next five weeks as we get to move forward in this next series. And I wanna give just a moment. I wanna set up why a lion in the street. What does that mean? Where does it come from? What in the world are you talking about? There is a verse, Proverbs 26, uh, 13 says, the slothful man saith, Yes, I just KJV'd you. The, the slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. That's it. The NIV puts it this way. A sluggard says, you guys familiar with the slugs? They're like underneath rotten you, you know, logs. The sluggard, I like to think that's what this guy is, says there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. And here is the deal. If you're hoping that we will say over the course of the next five weeks that the Bible says there's not a lion in the street, you're wrong. We're gonna disappoint you. There's lions in the street. There actually are. All the more reason for you to get up out of bed, go through the door and do the thing, the purpose, the calling that God has given you. Because there's not just one lion in the street, the voice of fear, the voice of the enemy. Actually, the Bible describes Satan as the lion of destruction. He's out there. We have a very real and very powerful enemy, but we have the lion of of Judah calling us out and calling those things, those fears, the, 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 the things that would keep us hidden away in our homes, saying, no, 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 no. You need to go out. Isolation is death. Community and intimacy is life. Move forward, my child. I am with you and I am powerful and I'm a little scary and I'm dangerous, but I am good. Follow me into the street. We're going to look over the course of the next five weeks at some amazing uh, uh, things in our life that God wants to do with the core fears that we have. And tonight we're starting with isolation and what isolation does. And we started on purpose with isolation. Why did we start with isolation? because everything around us for the past eight months, everything. And I don't just mean COVID, my friends. I mean politics, I mean race, I mean debates about, no, street fights about law and order. I, I, I mean presidential elections that turn into brawls, verbal brawls. I mean the antithesis of the detachment that happens over time when we start step by step beginning to move away from each other. God did not intend for that to be our existence. We are made in his image. And as such, we are made for unity. We are made for community. We are made for communion, just like his trinity is in perfect unity. You're made for it. And yet the enemy, the line of destruction, will come in at every turn and try to destroy intimacy and try to destroy our efforts at community. And we're gonna look tonight at a story. I think it is the 
I think it is the scariest Jesus story ever told. And I'm a little scared to tell it. Really. This week has been a little scary as I've looked at it. Because it's an encounter. Mark chapter 5. I'll set the context for you. If you've got your flat screen, I want you to go there. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. If you've got your Bible, flip that baby open. Here's the context. The night before, all night, has been the worst storm that Jesus' disciples, many of whom are fishermen and very familiar with the sea and very familiar with storms, the worst storm they've ever experienced. They, are, they were at certain points certain that they were going to die. It was a harrowing brush with death. They're exhausted coming to the beach and they don't understand why they're going to this particular slice of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it makes no sense to them. They're just, they're just following their savior. For some reason, they're going to the region of Gennesara. They're going to the region of the Decapolis, a very small slice off the Sea of Galilee that no good Jew goes to because it's full of the filthiness of the Gentile world. It's the only segment that they've been unable to root out of Israel because Rome provides specific protection to this group of 10 cities, the Decapolis, and they provide that protection because these Gentiles continue to sell out to Rome. So the disciples are not thrilled that they risked their life to cross the Sea of Galilee, saw this incredible moment where Jesus literally stills the cosmos to save them. They're coming to the shore and as they come to the shore, or check out the, the, the way that bad gets worse in the story, okay? They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. I want to stop right there, okay? Okay. It says Jesus got out of the boat. I think that's important. I don't think the disciples got out of the boat. Now they would have wanted to, for goodness sake, get me out of the sea after that experience. But no, 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 as we come to the shore, Jesus gets out of the boat because this maniac, this lunatic, this unclean Gentile with scars on his body and possibly flesh hanging off, as we'll see in just a second, open wounds is charging the shore. And there is very clearly, very clearly demonic activity going on in this man's life. Everything about him, a good Jew would have said, no, 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 I can take you right to Leviticus 50 paces. He's got to stay 50 paces away. So it is remarkable that Jesus steps onto that beach like he's moving on Normandy, right? Guys, as we'll see this story, there's no other reason that he came to this spot except for that man, one man, one story. And the disciples... I really believe they want nothing to do with it. Moments before, they're like, let's get off this boat. I have splinters in my butt from the seat last night. As they approach the shore, no, no, you know, I'm feeling way better in the water right now. 
keep that creep as far away from me as you possibly can. I think it's very important that the man is not even given a name. And here's where we're going to dive into what isolation does. Okay. He's a man. The actual title of this section is the Genesarian demoniac. You know what he is? You know how he's identified by his issues. You, you know what makes up the definition of his life? All of his filth, his uncleanness, his detestableness is begun. It's actually completely superseded his identity. He has no value and no worth outside of the nut job that lives in the graveyard. For some of you that maybe are in here for the first time tonight, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe some of you have known Jesus for a while. You've been battling with the way your issues define you. Where, where your problem has become so big, you don't see yourself outside of that problem because the lion of destruction keeps whispering lies that that is the sum total of your existence. Jesus is coming to a man who's not even given a name outside of what he is in the tombs and the graveyards, rejected, isolated, separated, hated. I want you to see what loneliness will do. Luke chapter eight actually tells the same story. It says the man was naked. Not only was he naked, but he, uh, he lived inside the tombs. He sleeps with dead people, with decomposition. I think, I think the pain and the poison have got to such a level in his life that he is cutting himself to try to let out whatever that anguish is. And more than that, that it's gotten so bad, he is hoping that either he dies trying to get it out or he dies. And that is what the lion of destruction wants to do to us in the eventual progressive end because he sees in you the very image of God stamped on you, the creator, and he hates your guts for it. He will do everything within his power to bring you to an early grave. This guy is in an early grave. He's buried alive with his sorrows, with his poisons, with the destruction the enemy has wreaked inside his heart. It is, it's critical not to miss. As the passage goes on, it says this, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Nothing could hold him down. He wreaked havoc and terror everywhere he went. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would scream and gash himself himself with stones. Listen, we have coming, coming before us a clash of the titans. 
on the beach. On the beach. We have the lion of destruction doing everything he can. I mean, I'm telling you, there are demons flying back and forth in the principalities of this dark world through the veil of the spiritual world. They're freaking out. There are signals going back and forth. Satan himself heard about this encounter that was about to take place because they're panicking. Somebody let him out of the grave. What is he doing? He's charging the shore. Yeah, you know what's gonna happen when he gets to the shore he's gonna meet Jesus stop him somehow stop him and if you can't stop him do everything you can to thwart this encounter this conversation look at if it was just the disciples Leviticus chapter 13 says something to this effect just with skin disease just the uncleanness of skin disease you have to walk around your hair messed up. Ladies, you're out right now. Everywhere you go, your hair has got to be a disaster because it's a visual signal that you're unclean. You have to clothe yourself a certain way and you have to shout everywhere you go that you're unclean. This is just over a skin lesion. I've got really bad poison ivy right now, the kind of poison ivy that if I pulled up my shirt, all of you would leave, which I won't do. It's awful. I would be considered unclean right now. This is without living in tombs among the dead. This is without raking rocks over my body to cut my flesh. This, this is without being filled with an impure or immoral spirit. This is without any of those things. The disciples, a good Jew, anybody but Jesus would have insisted on the 50 foot distance of isolation in this moment. But look, look at what happens. Mark 5, 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, I'm gonna stop. I gotta stop right there. From a distance. I just think, I just think folks, we see Jesus from a distance too often. I think it's really, really easy for us to look from afar visually at Jesus. In fact, I think it's really easy to actually come to church on a regular basis. I think it's, it's not hard to come in and, and sit somewhere where you've got just enough distance between you and somebody else that you're, you're kind of inoculating yourself against the actual presence of Jesus because you're in church, right? So from a distance, but you keep Jesus at a distance. I want you to know something. If you can't get vulnerable one to another, if you can't actually move into intimacy, then you're going to stop Jesus from his ability to actually affect change in your life. See, distance is not something that's just proximal. Distance is something that when we don't have the outside scars, but we have the inside blemishes, we have, we have the, the seared marks, we have the marring, we got the spots on our soul. We're, we're carrying with us extraordinary insecurity everywhere we go, or we're carrying with us rampant anger, or, or, or we're carrying with us depression, or we've got so much anxiety, we don't know what to do with it. We've got these hidden things, these secret things inside our soul, and so it's easy to show up to church, but to keep Jesus at a distance. The longer that we do that, the more the enemy will use that to separate us. Even if we're in here, 
even if we're part of something, by degrees, lying and destroying the truth in us because we're not opening up. We're not getting real about what's going on. Not this guy. Look at what he does. He ran. He's absolutely desperate. He ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that differently because what actually happens, if you read it closely, is eight happens before seven. So Jesus steps onto the beach our disciples are huddled in the back of the boat. Jesus is on the beach. The guy's rushing down. And Jesus says to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then at the top of his voice, the demons answer, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. I don't think... There's really any contest here. And I want that to be an encouragement to us. It strikes me that the demon's only recourse is to ask Jesus to swear by himself <laughs> that he won't hurt him. You know what that is? That is a knowledge, not a heart, but a knowledge that this is, I am that I am. This is the creator of the universe. This is the son of God who is here to reckon for this man's soul. This, this is the I am that's everything we need. Yes. This is I will give life and hope. I will give abundant life, a future meaning and purpose to this man. You are only here to destroy this man. I care about him. I am the I am. And, and it's just, it's fascinating to me. Jesus' first question is, what is your name? When God made us in the Garden of Eden, when he shaped and he formed your DNA in your mom's womb, he intentionally put his stamp, his image his visage over you, and that identifies you. Yes. That identifies you. That makes you worth so much. Yes. That makes it worthwhile for Jesus to do what he did to rip across the entire cosmos to come for you. And I'm not just talking about the collective you. Some of you need to know Jesus will cross the Sea of Galilee in the worst storm known to man just for you. Your heart, his image 
on you matters that much? What is your name? Not the lies. Not the voices of deceit. Not the wretched, putrid things you've believed about yourself. You're mine. I'm here. I want you. It's not, it's not about, it's not about what you think it's about here. It's about whose you are. Because you're either going to be for yourself. And guys, let's just be honest. Where's that got you? You're either going to be for yourself and whose you are you think is you or you're going to be Jesus's. And that identity changes everything. I want to, I want to say this and I want you to reckon with it. In fact, if it's the only thing that you chew on as you leave tonight, I want you to hear this. The danger of isolation, the danger of letting loneliness keep creeping is much greater than the risk of intimacy with Jesus. When he says, what is your name? That invitation to intimacy is scary. It's risky. There are ways when you get involved in Jesus' church, in Jesus' family, that things can, can still hurt. I know that. I've been part of a church, a body of Christ for a long time. But it is, it is worth the risk. Because if you stay in that pattern, you won't stay the same. You won't stay in an isolated place of fear and lies and deceit. You'll be named instead by Jesus. Look at how the passage goes on. His reply, my name is Legion. Now the demons are just trying to scare Jesus. They got no other recourse. We are many. Legion could have been up to 6,000. I don't think it was, but the, the, the actual translation is we are many. This is our vessel. Don't you even try anything. You, you, you better not. There's so many of us. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, just send us into the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Guys, can we just take a step back and acknowledge the horrifying scene that this would have been? This is a freak show, a horror show. This, the, the disciples are now jumping out the back of the boat. They're like, we're just going to swim back to, you know, the other side of the lake. The, the, the shepherd boys or the pigs, these Gentile shepherd boys, they literally do a beeline back to town. Like, we're out of here. First of all, we got to tell them we lost all 2,000, all of our winter provisions. They're dead. When my parents say, how'd you do that? I'm going to say, I swear it wasn't me. <laughs> the air. The air got him. 
and they just ran off the cliff. <laughs> Dashed to pieces on the bottom. I, I think Jesus lets us see this because he wants to emphasize that what the enemy ultimately wants never changes, the absolute destruction. The, 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 the thing Jesus tells us is that the thief came to, to steal, to kill and destroy all the time, every time. If he can't mess with people, he's gonna kill 2,000 pigs. His, his end is destruction, it's what he wants. That's, that's why it's in there. And it really sets us up well for, uh, for what comes next. But I don't want to miss this. Legion. I am legion. Remember we talked about just a minute ago where, where your issues identify you? Where your problems just seem insurmountable? They swallow you up and they consume you? The actual statement is my name is my problems. My existence is all the dementors that torment me. That's my sum total. The remarkable truth is that when we find ourselves the most unworthy, the least lovable, the worst disfigured, God who gave us his image to hold and to cherish still sees the goodness of that image he gave us. He calls us worthwhile, loves us in our cruelest hurt and risks himself to resurrect us to new life. All right, you said it, you're legion. Now I'm gonna kick them out and give you a new identity. Look at this. We're on to the cure. We're on to intimacy. Mark 5, 14 to 17 says this. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. Remember I said they beeline, they split for the hills and the people, that's the parents, <laughs> after they got some clubs and some other stuff, went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, sitting. He, this guy hasn't been calm since anybody can remember, but he's sitting, dressed and in his right mind. Listen, I, I see calm. There's no more frantic, fretting, terror-induced jerks and quivers and twists and distortions because of so much belief in the lies. No, I'm calm. I'm a non-anxious presence because my savior is my security. Dressed, the wounds, remember I told you he's naked. Luke, Luke 8 tells us he's naked. Again, the disciples are like, please, get some clothes on the guy. Somehow he's been dressed, which is to say dignified, which is to say the wounds are covered, the, the, the scars, the slashing, the filth is covered over by Jesus. 
If that's not an analogy for you to know and understand, for me to grapple with, I can't cover myself. My shame isn't something I can reckon with, but you know who can? The Son of God, the Lion of Judah can. Our shame, covered by him, his life and his existence, and in his right mind. Here, here's, see, so often we just get derailed. When, when we're on our way and when we're doing things our way, there's this waywardness that we are prone to, prone to wander, Lord. It's just real about us as humans. It was real about Adam and Eve, and it's real about us. And so we get dis distorted, we get disoriented, we get lost. We don't know which way is up, what's, but what, what way to turn. But in this moment, he is put back in his right mind. He's given orientation again. Instead of dysphoria, he has euphoria. Dysphoria just means all joy, all satisfaction, all fulfillment of life gone before Jesus. Now suddenly, suddenly there's a reason to live again. There's hope. He's in his right mind. Now, let's not miss that the people, when they saw this, they were afraid. Now, it's really interesting because I remember I said earlier, Jesus is scary. He's scary. If you think about the power to confront Satan face to face on the beach and absolutely crush him. That's scary. Especially for people who are like, I'm kind of holding Jesus at a distance. I don't know what it will be like to be exposed to Jesus. I'm not sure how that experience will be. And he looks from a distance, majestic, powerful, dangerous, a true magnificent lion like the MGM. You remember MGM lion? You guys remember that? It just, it would come up as a kid. It was my favorite part of the movie. Just that, you know, real lion. This, this is 10 times that. And the people who come down, they're like, what just happened? We spent years driving demon Doug into the graves, literally. We had to keep him out of town because he'd hurt people, break things, destroy things. We finally got him into the graveyard in an early grave. We're hoping he'd stay there and, you know, stay there. He, that's Demon Dan. I mean, you just see it. way, dude. No, that is not, that's not him. And it's not. It's not because he's been identified by Jesus. When, when people are more afraid of what Jesus will do in their lives than what Satan does in the moment, they often push Jesus away. And this is sobering to us as a church because we can not only do that ourselves and in our own life, but we can actually do that in other people's lives as well. See, this was rocketive to the economy of their area. This shook up, this shook up the commerce, 
the things they needed. All their provisions for winter were gone. And quite honestly, in our own selfishness, it is often much easier for us to hold on to the security that makes us feel good rather than help the people that desperately need our help right next to us. And that's happening right here. And so they ask him to leave the region and we're back to distance. We're back to isolate. You know, Jesus, just get out of here, please. We can't handle somebody causing all of our pigs to run over the cliff. We, we, I mean, Demon Doug, Demon Dan, whatever, whatever I mean, I, he's uh, no good to us, really. Those pigs were. And Jesus is writing our priorities. And he'll do that to us, to you, and to me. Whenever he sees that things are so out of whack that his very image in some other human being is not important to us, or at least not as important as our stuff and our security, he'll shatter our security. As a church, that's sobering. Because I don't know if I've lived in a time in my life where I've seen more Christians more concerned with their stuff and their security than other people with the image of God stamped on top of them. Leave. Leave the region. And the scariest part of the story is verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, He left. I read that, and then I reread that, and I reread that. So he's not going to stay. No, he, he came to do what he came to do. Look at this. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Yep. We, we should feel that if we've had an encounter with Jesus in our life. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Look at Jesus will leave, and I actually was thinking of it this way. If literally, not figuratively, if the Lion of Judah was literally in the room with us right now, I think we'd be scared. We have the presence of Jesus' spirit with us, but we do not get to be in his physical incarnate presence right now. And I think that's probably a good thing on earth because I think it would be terrifying if the disciples are any example in this moment. They're at least onlookers at best. Notice they didn't engage a single time in the story. They watched. I think this is a really good thing. And I think the church, I think we need to pay attention to Go home to your own people and tell them your past 
has a purpose. Your past is truth about you. No one else can refute. It's less frightening and more appealing than a direct encounter with Jesus or a personal encounter. It's inarguable. It's irrefutable evidence for Jesus and it's an invitation to him. Listen to me, we're back to storytelling. That's where we've got to. Jesus says to this guy, what you have experienced today This encounter where I saved you, where I showed you mercy, where I came across the sea in in desperate storms and I came here for you, what I did to you, I want you to go back to the hardest people in the world to tell your story to, your people. It would have been a whole lot easier if he said, tell the people in the square that you don't know. You guys, this is application for us in our life groups. We get in our life groups and we're scared and we don't know exactly how it's gonna be to meet new people and talk to new people. And then we start doing that. And then we start caring what those people think about us. And all of a sudden we start shutting down our story and hiding our secret spots. We come to church and and, and we start to get just close enough to relationship with other people we start to care what those people think about us. And so we start to tune our story out. We start to diminish our encounter with Jesus. And that is the work of the enemy to cause isolation and separation again. He says, go home to your own people and tell them, you know what? I gotta confess something. It's easier for me to get up here and to preach and to teach than it is for me to go home and to live a life that is not hypocritical to my kids in my house. To be honest with them about my past. But here's the deal, your past will be one of two things, Satan's greatest weapon against you or God's most powerful tool for you and others depending on how you use it. It's that simple. Please, I implore you tonight, just like Jesus did, don't let the enemy have your story. Don't let him have the future of your story and don't let him have the past of your story. That's God's property if you've encountered him tonight. It's his economy. It's crucial that we tell people what Jesus did for us. I don't even care if you tell people who Jesus is because some of you, I don't think, do a real good job of telling who Jesus is. Tell them what Jesus did for you so they're interested in getting to know who Jesus is. In your life, now look at this. And those of you who are taking notes, which is all of three of you, put, put down your, your device for just a second, okay? It ends with all the people were amazed. Now you need to understand something. He goes to his people, he goes to his family, he goes anywhere they'll listen in the 10 city Decapolis. This is the first point of entry, the first time that Gentiles are reached with the gospel, that non-Jews are reached with the gospel, okay? With the story of Jesus. And they're amazed, not because Jesus stayed, because he left. And this dude did what he said. Now, this is my Ryan 
words. These are not in red. (laughs) But I really think this is possible. If you fast forward, if you fast forward two and a half chapters, march forward. In Mark chapter 7 and into chapter 8, Jesus comes back to the Decapolis. He comes back to the region of Genesera. And there are 4,000 families waiting on shore to hear about Jesus. How did they get there? They're isolated from all Israel. They don't have the ability to hear about Jesus except by one dude. I imagine that Demon Doug is sitting in the middle of those 4,000 people with a giant smile over his face, no longer covering up his arms and his scars. He doesn't care anymore. Hey, Jesus, I told them they had to see you. I love the scriptures. I want to leave you just with this question. Are you like the man at the end of the story? Is that where you are in your journey? Saved, rescued, past your encounter, whether it's this miraculous and crazy, it probably isn't. Scariest Jesus story ever told. It's probably less spectacular. It's probably a little mundane. But there are people all around you that need to hear it. And so I'm asking you, get in a life group if you're not. Get in community. Please serve on a ministry. Get close to people where they'll rub off on you and you will rub off on them. And the story of God will go out of here and thousands will come to hear about Jesus. Community. Community's the solution to isolation, to the distance. Or are you tormented, my friend, by being far from Jesus, by the distance, by the isolation and destruction of your sin and shame? If that's you tonight, if you're new to this idea of Jesus, or you're sitting there and you're like, I'm old to the idea of Jesus, but I've never surrendered. I've actually called his name, Jesus, son of the most high God, but I've never surrendered, just like those demons. If that's you and you're ready to surrender, I'm gonna pray right now. And there are people in here that are gonna pray for you right now. And I'm asking you to surrender. That's it. Give up the fight to the only one who can win for you. Let's pray. God, I ask right now for your spirit to be welcome in hearts it's never been welcome in before. God, I ask in your power and your name that some who have just resisted, who have held you at a distance, further than an arm's length, 
that are being eaten alive by their own desire for separation and isolation because the enemy destruction himself has lied and deceived. God, would you break those shackles, those bonds? Would you work right now to bring people to your life because you came and you died and you gave yourself up so you could raise us to life and pull us out of the tombs and out of the graves. God, some of us are walking around half dead and we know it. And I just ask that those who want to be brought to life would just surrender right now. Would say, God, I've tried it my way and I'm done. I want your way. I want your life. We know you have promised over and over again, you will save them. And we praise your name, your mighty name for that. Jesus, we pray in the name of the Lion of Judah over tonight. Amen. Thanks, everybody.